All right. Anyone listening to this, we're back for another episode of Growth Vault from two really great backgrounds. And since this is not on YouTube right now, you guys can't see that I'm actually in a basement in Bulgaria with a treadmill, garage, two other things. I'm here joined as usual by Aaron Orndorff, the legend, and the guy who uh, hates my background, Rob Arahill. Uh So uh, excited to talk to you about all things SaaS. So we got a really fun one. We're going to talk today about um, Shopify and their earnings call and all the things that Rob is going to go over that. We're going to talk about competitive advantage, and then we're going to talk about ProfitWell SaaS metrics with Aaron at the end. So what's up, Gs? We, this is a long time. We, we, uh, we, we ghosted you last time, AO. You, you did it. You did oh, it. I took advantage of it. Content is content. Everything is content. I will bleed on the internet for views. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm not above any of that. And I'm hoping that actually turns into, speaking of ProfitWell, getting uh, Patrick C. over here on the uh, podcast uh, coming up too. Yeah, 100%. Maybe yeah, one of our inaugural, not three, but four, inaugural four-member guests. Yeah, that'd be lovely. That'd be lovely. We'll get PC on here. That'd be great. That'll be great. Before we All jump right. into the, the meat, yeah, drop meat jump potatoes, in. Chase, yeah. there's something really important I feel like we need to discuss. Super Bowl. Do you like it? Halftime show, commercials. How are you going to bury the lead? Okay, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. I'm not a sports guy at all. I found, so everybody got mad about Timu and the, what was arguably the least aesthetic, Shut least creative. Man. There it is. That is it. In my estimation, that was the most on-brand, get-it-done ad of the Super Bowl that I would say that this is like, it was in your head, it stuck with you, and it perfectly encapsulated what people expect from and get from Timu itself. Temu, it was such a, this is the brand encapsulated. We're going to spend big. You're going to come give us your money. And it, it is what it is. That was what I just, I reveled in from that. I don't completely agree, but I agree with a lot of what you said. For me, it's so interesting because the ad was so bad. It was, you know, pardon the morbid analogy, but like kind of looking at a train wreck. And while that train wreck was happening, my defenses came down and then the psychological warfare, that damn jingle infiltrated my head and now I'm screwed. And, and they taught the world how to pronounce their name. Uh, and I'm still, I'm like still pronouncing it incorrectly, yeah. but hey, I don't oh, even say Brez correctly. So that's how I, that's how I go. Really, the thing that I'm most excited about is to hear it in some sort of like, some sort of song, like as a, uh, they're, they're going to start sampling it. Like a, you know, like some sort of techno song is going to start sampling lo, lo, like a yes. billionaire. That's what I'm here for. The is that that's going to become part of the zeitgeist? Yeah, I, uh, I thought Usher was atrocious. Like, absolutely. Really? Until, until Little John came on. We, we both, we both did this. Until, until Little I am John, aghast. Until oh, Little John and uh, and uh, Luda came on, I was like, and, and Alicia Keys, like his guests saved him. If it had just been him by himself, it would have been like, ah, uh, like he's better in a real concert. Like his voice. The man danced in roller skates live oh, in front of millions upon millions of people. I was nervous and I'm not even real. I was like his dad in that moment of like, no, why would you risk it? Yeah, like. That and then I also I forgot that "Make Love in This Club" was a song. Yeah. Like, who can do that? Who can take what is the most raunchy idea in the world and be like, "Oh, like, ladies, we're gonna make this romantic." I was like, "Okay, you got me." Um, I forgot he got away with that. 
the it, biggest I issue is I completely agree with AO. Yeah, Dr. Dre and Rihanna the last two years, and they both slayed. So I was like, ah, this is not. This is okay. That's a California Homer Homer pick if I've ever heard. <laughs> I, I uh, uh, what? I'm from Barbados. Am I from Barbados too? Am I from Barbados? Is that a? <laughs> yeah, I watched it. I didn't turn it off. It was enjoyable, but I expected more from Usher, man. Usher Raymond, come on, man. It could have been my old man moment, but like I was at the AO where like I was literally like jamming with the songs. Like, oh my gosh, that's a banger! Oh, he's got that banger. I, I will say, I thought the. The ending, they could have had a bigger, like a more climactic ending. The ending kind of got weird, like a, a town rap style. It was kind of like uh, you could have ended it in a better culmination, I thought. But, uh, you know, it was interesting. The small little rabbit hole digression, as I love those. Um, so Alicia Keys hits like a sour note in uh, the really beginning of the uh, yep. her performance. Yeah. They scrubbed all of it post hoc. Like you have to go find videos, but like the, so the live feed and the posted feed were scrubbed of the bad note. Really? Isn't that interesting? She, yeah, yeah. She that was definitely did not hit she the note. She flubbed the like first she, part of it. Yeah. I'll, yeah, see, yeah, yeah. I'll see if I can find the tweet that I saw about it, but I thought that was really fascinating because that that's a bit of uh, going back to that psychological warfare, which, you know, candidly marketing is a vector of that. So be on the, yeah. on the right side of it. But uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting tidbit. Yeah. Not my favorite. Obviously, the best, the best halftime so what show. What was your favorite commercial then, Chase? So, Aaron, Ao, you went with Timu. I did. I think they won because okay. of that. Fair play. What was yours, Chase? What was my favorite commercial? There was a bunch that made me chuckle. Like the Timu one, just because it was so. I don't know. Like it, it essentially grabbed me by the it's throat just... by by the way that it's by the way that it did things. I didn't have any ones that really stuck out to me. A couple of made me kind of chuckle. Uh, nothing was too egregious, but that one was, uh, that one was fun because I felt like, uh, it was just anti-marketing marketing. Like the UI, it was just like, essentially like they took the UI and transposed it onto the screen and then spent well, 50 million bucks to play it four times. And the jingle yeah. was kind of catchy, but kind of, I dug that because of how it made me feel. But also that's why they why they bought four spots. So I didn't have a huge I didn't have a huge I was also going back and forth because my kids were screaming, so I wasn't paying as much attention, to be honest with you. Tracking. Yeah. Yeah. No. What are you talking in, Rava? What 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 was your go-to? You know, I thought the cringe of the Dunk Kings wasn't terrible. Uh, I didn't hate that one. That was definitely high up there. You know, Star Trek OG chucking stuff. Oh, oh um, Patrick Stewart. uh, Oh my gosh, what's your name? So Sir good. Patrick Stewart throwing yeah. footballs and Arnold and stuff. Great. I thought that was actually that was pretty great. hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then I Neighbor. had a third one. Yeah. Yeah. That was <laughs> it just narrates it. Those are the two ones. I had a third one that I can't remember now um, that I really liked. But they were all all fairly c- celebrity studded, which was kind of weird for me because normally I don't like those. And so I thought the, just the cameos, there was just a very much, so if you know, you know, for the Duncans, but it also could land across everybody if you didn't know. So I think that's what makes really interesting intimate advertising is when there's an inside joke, but if you don't get the inside joke, you can still get the joke. And I think that's a a really interesting lesson. I was acutely aware of my, of my geriatric millennialism the entire time from the halftime show to your right, the Duncans, that was beautiful with Matt Damon rolling in and all the, like the nods. It keeps I mean, apologizing. You know, and, and Michael Sarah, like that was just so that that's like, Oh, 
it was, yeah, uh, they, they knew who they're marketing to. Oh, they, dude, they, absolutely. They, they understand who has share of wallet right now and who's willing to spend. Like, 100%. They know what they're doing. Yeah, but overall, I thought it was a pretty strong Super Bowl. Very fun to watch as well because I'm not super into sporty ball. I'll do a little cowboy stuff and then our fantasy football league chase. But um, yeah. yeah, overall, I thought it was great. I liked, I don't know if it was a function of the economy or just how they sold ad spots, but I really appreciated them not allowing like big buyouts this time um, where you see a commercial 10, 20 times just like for fuck's sake. Like I think the Timu and maybe a couple of the streaming shows were like high up there. That was yeah. also something quasi interesting as well, and then we can move on. Is how much was spent on the against Paramount Plus and streaming shows? I thought that was really. I mean, CBS is their parent company, which makes a ton of sense. But like at the end uh, of the day, uh, if, uh, I, I wouldn't. Go ahead. Paramount is the parent company. They bought CBS. Back. Oh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, opposite way, right? Like yeah, yeah. I inverted the pyramid. Yeah. Yeah, but for me, the real interesting question isn't that. The interesting question is, did they backfill inventory? Or did they earmark inventory? You know what I mean? Like, could they not sell this inventory? So they're like, fuck it, we have it. Let's run our spots. Or did they actually be like, hey, we're not going to sell these spots because we're going to, Paramount Plus is going to buy them. So anyways, super just little pontifications here and there. Yeah, yeah. Super, super interesting on that. I do wonder, given kind of the state, like what people were willing to spend on. And so it was like, maybe people got a discount on some of this stuff because they couldn't fill every spot at the same way that they wanted to. Just a weird digression on Paramount Plus. Super interesting. You know, I'm still plugged in a little bit on the Hollywood shit. Like Paramount is trying to sell their entire yeah. film backlog because they're not making as much yep. money on film. So they're going heavy yep. on Paramount Plus and TV and like Paramount Network and everything. So it's really interesting to oh. see them go into that. Right. So they're trying to like that. push as much of the premium CBS content into Paramount Plus and like that's their streaming. So they had like their own CBS streaming app. They're trying to pump all of that in. So yep. it's a really interesting kind of recalibration of strategy that they're doing and trying to come into the new age and be viable while they still are playing against, you know, these big, these big players like Disney and Warner and then all the, you know, all the new tech tech well, companies. And, you know, honestly, that plays really in well too, to a couple of the topics we'll talk about later, which was yeah. uh profit wells, B2B SaaS marketing port, which highlights the B2C side as well. Yeah, yeah. I, it's an extension of the suffering that's going on with higher churn and B2C uh, lower acquisition rates, higher cost of acquisition itself. And even Daniel McCarthy, his uh, epic scholarly drop. And he was using those exact, like the large Spotify. I mean, those are the kind of pieces where, yeah, there's a lot of scrambling going on. And when it scrambles down on the B2C side, it scrambles right up into those of us that serve the B2B side as well. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Look at this guy setting the table. You're actually key. You're actually with hurting the yeah, donkeys. Yeah. Why don't we yeah. jump in? Because your flow feels strong right now. I can just the the aura from the P and yeah. is is emanating yeah. here in Austin, Texas. So why don't you take us away, and then I'll just bookend us with some Shopify earnings, a little bit of uh, ramblings on that, and then uh, a little bit of a carve out. But I'm all hot and bothered now. Yeah, 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 yeah the, the, the meat. This this was dropped just last month. Uh, it's the 2023 B2B SaaS marketing report by Profitwell, now owned by Paddle, I believe. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and it's, I mean, the headline is, is the worst behind us, which is a really great summary for, uh, if you want a lot of sad charts, this is the marketing report <laughs> for you. And I think that it's, there, there is a misery loves company side of things as well, that, yep. that this should be measured against. And it can actually be very level setting depending on how your organization is thinking about 2024 based yep. on how 2023 went. 
and, and it's also just like, you know, you get the feeling, I get the feeling constantly that everybody's winning except me because I only see the wins that are put out there into the world, especially on social media. So this was a really good, I say it tongue in cheek, right? Because what the reporting on here, basically, I think they track something like 34,000 companies inside of ProfitWell Metrics. And they basically identified the leading chart is for the first time ever, an actual decline in compounded annual growth rate. Yeah. So it dropped 4% wow. in the negative for yeah. December of 2023, first recorded where it actually contracted yeah. uh, for a month. Wow. And now they they do a really good job of measuring that with seasonality in the B2B space. So that's reflected in a comparison to last December, where we also see almost like a blip of 0.2% lift. That's it. So it, it is like the bleakest of bleak months to lead with. But what I think is really interesting about it is the way they overlap it with the uh, churn being at an all-time high. And I want to get your take on that. Churn being at an all-time high for B2B, B2C software also experiencing the like fourth lowest dip it's ever seen as they've been tracking it. So not the worst of the worst, but definitely yeah. a rough month. And then there's sort of like who's going to make it moving forward, the road ahead. And it's all about efficiency. So those are the three that kind of set in the table with that. I'd love for us to camp out on a little bit. Yeah, I mean, wh which one do you want to dive into first? Uh, the reason why we think the compounded growth has stalled. Where do you think growth is going? Wh where Where do you want to? How do we want to attack this big burrito? I mean, let's answer their first question: Is the worst behind us? Ooh, very well said. As Chase is pacing in his Lithuanian jail, waiting for the Bulgaria, my friend Bulgaria. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Bulgaria, excuse me. I think the challenge with the worst behind us. For who? And so I don't want to get too nuanced here and I'll definitely give a hot take, but um, there's kind of a joke where... Because there's not really any... Because you guys know, I always got to tell people I went to school for economics because I think I'm a degen, but I actually am a degen, but quasi smart. And so there's really not a definition for... Or like a real strict definition for a recession. The recession is... Uh, the economy is doing bad is when your neighbor is doing not well. And a recession is when you're not doing well. And so what I mean by that is uh, when you get into averages, it can be challenging in terms of like uh, tracking for the whole market, but you still might have breakouts. With all that being said, I do think there is still some zerpiness in the system. However, and, and what I mean by zerps uh, for people to follow along is a zero interest rate phenomenon. It's basically just a dig at these things wouldn't exist if there wasn't just so much basically free capital out in the markets that could be deployed into uh, basically if you had an IV and an idea, here's $5 million kind of stuff. Anyways, no judgment there. That's, that's a whole nother thing. But I think that the destruction in the value of the ecosystem, the worst is behind us there. I think there's good businesses masquerade or good features masquerading as businesses. And I think mm -hmm. those will get bought up or really cut the fat and just become they, you know, walks like a duck, talks like a duck, sounds like a duck, probably a duck, and realize, hey, we can have we have a really good business here, but we don't have a unicorn or whatever. So yeah, that's my kind of take. I think there's definitely still some creative destruction to be had and still some purging of these kind of zerp phenomena, but mm -hmm. I think on uh, for the most part, I think that that has we're we're on the back end of that where the bulk of that has happened, or the 
the, the destruction is already set in motion. And so those, they're pretty much gone already. And, but I don't know, Ayo, where, where do you land? And then I want to hear Chase too. The worst being behind us. I think the fallout will continue of businesses that they were going to use Q4 as their last gas. And this is particularly true in consumer and B2C. That they may have gotten a final little bit of wind in their sales from Mm -hmm. Lyft in Mm -hmm. seasonal sales. Uh, But what very few of them, I think, are going to be doing is they're either going to be shuttering in total, continuing to lean out, or it's going to be a matter of uh, they're just not expanding. And so new opportunities for people like us dirty SaaS marketers are going to get fewer and far between. And it's going to be a, uh, so there's just going to be less fish to go fishing for. I think that's actually what I see a lot in the churn rate is that it's a confluence of both B2C being down so that there's not as many of the businesses we serve able to expand and generate new revenue or even go looking for new services, new software services. But it's also like, as, as that takes place, there's also this like, screaming acuteness toward price sensitivity that will continue That's to exacerbate. Fair. And then as those those businesses just simply get pulled out, normalize, I would say probably in like the next two quarters. I think that's going to be the fallout period of people that were just hanging on for, can we make a go of it? We can't. And so they're, they're going to go down. Damn it. I'm going to retract my previous statement. I, I agree with that take. I think that's, that's a strong take. Papa, yeah, Papa no, see what you no, got for no. us. Yeah, no real notes. I think it's um, everything is a long tail. These things take you know quarters and quarters to really hit. We're still, like you said, on the tail end of zerpiness. So, like, I'm just essentially regurgitating. I think the um, the main takeaway I have in general is people are just going to have to get like the, the people who are good at their jobs is what you said to me many times, Raba, um, which is it's never been a better time to be excellent and a worse time to be me- like mediocre or baseline talented. And I find the same thing true for companies. And so you can't just expect that I have this solution and people are going to use it. It's like, Oh, okay. Uh, Are you better or are you cheaper? And if you're somewhere in the middle, you're kind of fucked. Um, And so I don't see that. I don't see this number changing. I think what I'm actually really, what I'm interested to see over the course of this year specifically is instead of we see this big, this big fluctuation in Q4, which is a pretty standard thing I've seen in my, you know, my four or five seasons in SaaS or uh, in Q4 is like everyone's cleaning the books. And then in two weeks later, they have budget and they, they turn you back on again. And it's like, okay, I had two weeks where I wasn't using, this customer wasn't using me, right? They just needed to say that they had taken yeah. off all their software and cleaned, cleaned everything up and just kept like, you know, Klaviyo and, and fucking Shopify. And then like, we'll start adding things on again as we need them. Systems of record. Yeah, exactly. Dude. <laughs> Don't even get me started on it. Is you really have? To, I'm really interested to see is are we going to see more churn fluctuation, right? So like it was like oh Kager is moving up, it's good, it's good, it's good. Oh wow, Q4, what the fuck is this? It's like I'm really interested to see like is there is it more spiky this year? Especially what you've mentioned a couple times, Rob. We're going and and Aaron, you've also mentioned this. We're going to an election cycle. Like, does this have any effect as we have become as B two B SaaS marketers mm-hmm. as we've become more? consumer focus like our relationship every single election cycle gets closer to a b2c relationship than it was 
the election cycle before. So does the uncertainty around kind of what we're going into in the back half of the year have any effect on kind of what that CAGR and everything looks like? Are people just holding their their chips close to their like there's no experimentation going on? Like I, I don't I don't have an answer specifically. My kind of answer is do better work and make it easier to understand. Like as, as simple as that sounds, like make my solution as easy to understand as possible and make the product as easy to consume Don't be poor. as possible. Right? Like, you know? <laughs> Yo, you're you're so right. Like writ large and writ small. I kid you not. I recorded a loom with a new freelancer I'm working with. Uh, and basically what I got to over the weekend was like, okay, I don't know how else to say this. You need to write more better words. <laughs> god i love you and it was like and i'm trying to illustrate but no yeah and but that's sort of the thing i mean that's like like the piece of it is make it easier to understand a faster path to value and we come back to this the same thing we've talked about before is connecting the value dots for people that's the screaming need especially if you're not going to be the cheapest if you're the cheapest right now the table is yours to run uh, yeah, um, but I would argue you never want to compete on price. If you're competing on price and that's your price vector, you better have a ton of capital and an insane amount of logistical and operational acumen because you are operating on a mar. You're like a that's a- yeah, Amazon. Yeah, you, have to be, you have to be Amazon. You have to be Amazon. If you want to build for the long term, yes. If you want a healthy business, fair play. Yes, that, that was that was the assumption. That so. does not solve anybody who's listening to this, nor does it solve my problem of somebody is going to undercut substantially. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And when when the line item on the budget for software is separated from the line items for marketing that are directly connected to, and I mean for this, for the businesses that we serve, when the line item is software versus a separate section in the chart of accounts that is attached to spend on advertising that is directly related to how much revenue we produce, when the gap, literally the physical line item gap exists in the, in the P&L for that, then you simply are, to anybody who is on the finance side, a cost center. Unless yes. you can connect the dots for both the marketers and help them to connect the dots for, because I assume that's like a lot of what we're talking to, that's who people that listen to us. Unless you can start connecting the dots very clearly, that's the third leg I would add to what you just said, Chase, is what's the financial case you're making? <sighs> Hundred percent. This kid, this kid. When he goes on, when he goes yeah, on, when I need a cigarette. Uh, well, it's out of necessity right now. Is that and that's that's like the the that's the the landscape that we're living in through this B two B report is because like basically what what they come away with is how to respond to twenty twenty four. And I really want I hope Patrick listens to this because I'm going to be like how to respond to twenty twenty four in twenty four colon your current customers are the key to growth. I want to be like. No, yeah, they better not be. You know, because that is a losing position. My my kind of um, my take on that. Whenever anyone says that, is like that's just an in vogue way of people making sure that everyone agrees with them. Like, yeah, yeah, you should expand your customers. Like, of course, we want to expand our customers. No fucking shit. They've been doing that for a hundred fucking years. Like. That's not, uh, yes, that makes a beautiful business. It can help you, you know, NDR, all those, like we, we want all of that. But you also have right. to attract new business to actually have a strong growth rate. I'm not saying you, you have to have no churn. Like you want no churn. You want people to expand. This is not a question. But if you're saying, if like the, the hypothesis here is 
to grow our business, we will essentially focus on just expanding our current customers. Like, what if 75% of them don't want new shit from you? What are you going to do then? And especially because that you know you roll into things like okay, so what are some of the the strategies they talk about? Run a multi pronged product strategy with cross selling as a source of revenue. Create add on feature or service targeting customer segments with higher willingness to pay. All right, and then to get into dangerous territory, these last two price on a value metric. <gasps> oh, you're about to get roasted. Yeah, Uh-oh. price on a value metric with expansion built in and adjust GTM go to market roles and comp to incentivize expansion. Um, which like those last two for me is there is nothing that's going to get you more heat and fire than saying we're going to switch our pricing to get more of a percentage of what you make without any clear validation in what you're performing and your ability to drive more value. Yeah. So Shopify changed and some people complained and then most people are like, yeah, it's fair. We've been underpaying for years. Why? Because they sit under their entire business. They're like, dude, I don't exist without this fucking bridge, right? From my and they gave them all and out by saying three years lock in, no change. That's it, right? That's it. I think that's we had a little bit of a pricing kerfuffle at my previous company, and the way you communicate is so important. What we were doing actually wasn't sketchy at all. Um, it, for the majority of the people, their actually monthly billings were going to go down. Um, but there was this little subset that were kind of on these like weird edge cases, yada, yada, yada. And um, I, I will say just kind of a, a little small digression from what you're talking about with pricing AO is that I'm not a big elitist, but there's just some of your clients that just get deserved. You just have to treat them different. And well, like we, if they were with you really early on or like... Home. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, if you're if if they're giving you a lot of money, they 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 warrant different treatment, unfortunately. And so... We didn't communicate to those people in a really meaningful way. It was kind of a mass communication to them. So I couldn't agree with you more, Ayo. I think the way that they rolled out this pricing was fantastic. And I agree with you, Chase. Like The thing about Shopify is it's the exact same thing with Meta. Bitching ain't switching. Like, where are you going to go? Yeah. You're going to go build a, a WooCommerce site on WordPress? Like, you're not me. You're not going to go do that and be waste all of your time. And like, ne- like Shopify is this Honda Civic that there's so many parts built for. There's so many cottage ecosystems around. There's so many things that yeah. are so cheap to upkeep. And, oh, if you want to give me more money, cool, give me more money. And then you can get... I mean, that's the one thing with Shopify Plus is that I think that was the most brilliant strategic place to put the upsell on the checkout checkout script, all these people don't get. Everybody perceives Shopify Plus stores as big. No, Shopify Plus stores are just more sophisticated, and they want to have access to the actual checkout cart. And without Shopify Plus, you don't get access to that. And so I think that is just such a brilliant way to price. And then obviously they price on um, GMV and the processing. Yeah. But what I love about them too is they basically just like a tax. And so they they build the infrastructure of your city, yada, yada, yada. And when people cross and use that infrastructure, and they just tax you. And so, uh, I don't by know. The way, Stripe, by the way, Stripe does this too, right? Like they, they have a tax. And then if you want to use like revenue recovery or other things that they have, it's a it's a monthly fee. Or you, you either pay a monthly fee with the same tax or you pay a higher tax on everything that's recovered plus, your, would, plus your payments. Yeah, but I would say Stripe is more for me like 
a transport network where Shopify for me is more of a full infrastructure city where Stripe can do one thing really well. And if you do that thing, I charge you for it. Where Shopify is a city that you can build oh. a meaningful brand in. No argument. I think what Stripe allows you, I guess what I would say Stripe allows you to do is like Shopify allows you to stay in the continental United States. Stripe allows you to go to all seven continents. Right. So like that's the that's the meaningful difference for that business is like you can do a way more things with Stripe than you can with Shopify. But within that place, Shopify is like the winner. So completely agree. I mean, it, it kind of goes that dovetails perfectly into our our idea for the main topic, which is competitive advantage. Actually, like this, yeah. this topic. Hit it. So or I guess where did we land? Did we did we land any did was there any other questions you had, AO? Yeah, what was the like any, any other what are the people what's the people's takeaways? Because you were on a heater in terms of like yeah. you're kind of throwing shade. I've never seen the AO shade before. I was a little, yeah. I was a little only, I was only in text. I was and I'm really hoping PC comes on. Yeah. And I know that he's not actually like one are for one anymore. Oh, he's not one for one, right? I bet his finger he didn't click any keys on this puppy yeah. right, at this point. He's he's far removed from it, for, so for sure. But I Anything that gets me further away or any business away from the reality that new customers at a break-even or slightly better rate, or at least a payback window that you can bank on from previous data, any any strategy that's not built on net new being the lifeblood is your seeding land and it's from a losing position. You cannot adopt that as the overarching, this is our 2024 goal. Or you've lost. Can I add a, maybe an asterisk to that? Because I completely agree with the caveat. I think of it almost like this this basin, right, of land. And the more rainfall you have, aka net new users, the faster you fill up that basin. But once that basin gets really, really full, then it is also important to make sure that people aren't leaving or that that water, there's there's figuring out more ways to get in there. So I think yeah. it also is contingent upon where you're at in your business cycle and what size you're at. Because if you're a monster size, you're, you're also going to have more resources to deploy in terms of different products. Because that's the whole point for me where I kind of push back a lot on expansion revenue as a marketer. I think that's the hard part kind of a small philosophical aside, but there's like, when I get asked about pricing, there's what I want in my marketing brain that I know I can sell the hell out of. And then there's what I want in my economics brain or my finance brain of like, this is equilibrium where I'm going to clear the market. And never are they ever, ever aligned. And so for me, expansion revenue for the most part should be rooted in not sales, but in products. How are we generating more value for the user and is that user going to pay more money because we're generating more value? And that's where the expansion revenue, just because you're changing how you're going to charge me, you're going to make more money for me, but I yeah. get no value. Like that's yeah, a you problem. That. That's not a me problem, yeah, bro. That. But if you want to give me new features or new things or that thing, yeah. and you want to charge me some more for it and you do it in a tactful way, like you described, Aaron, where I can grandfather yeah. some people in, I'm not just switching things overnight. Or, you know, maybe it's just a 10% bump to the core thing. Like you see streaming services all the time. You're like, ah. Oh, Hey, that's like my Amazon Prime just charged me to pay for Prime with no ads when I originally bought Prime Video with no ads. But yeah. it's $5, I get enough value from it, whatever. Um, I think it's fine. So anyways, the too long didn't read. I think that if you're a big monster lake that already has a lot of water in it, 
I think expansion revenue can be really meaningful because the other thing is you can think of expansion revenue almost like internal conversion rate. If you don't got a bunch of customers, raising your internal conversion rate one to 2% won't fucking matter. But if I have a million people I can sell to and I raise that conversion rate and I get X amount of dollars from a million customer base or 500,000 or something, that's meaningful revenue. So that would be my only only pushback. Other than that, completely agree. That's a really good pushback and it reflects... It reflects the size of what I'm working with. So I got bold. That was like, that was very insightful and it, it hurt a little bit, but in an honest way. No, I mean, it, every, everything is a function of your customer. And also shout out to PC, one of the coolest yeah. humans ever. Yeah, 100%, dude. Special dude. Yeah, the whole thing is a function of your customer base. Like legitimately. All right, competitive advantage. Who's, who's running with this one? That's, that's C-Money. That's the, uh, the I will. I will give gym. my... I, I will give my... A set of curls. Yeah, I will... <laughs> In Bulgaria, I will give my my core thesis, and then I'll I'll uh, pass it off to you guys, and we can uh, we can debate here. So I've been thinking a lot about like unfair advantages. Shopify is a great example of an unfair advantage where they essentially own, they are a judge, jury, and executioner for the customers that they serve, and so you feel a little bit I don't want to say uh, subservient to them, but like they can dictate a lot of things. And so I've been thinking about unfair advantages that co- companies have, and we have a couple examples. Apple has un- an unfair advantage. Whenever they release something, they have this rabid user base. Notion has a similar unfair advantage with product and user base. And what I think I'm really interested in is like, what are your advantages? Are your advantages in product, like you just mentioned, Raba, and how you do expansion revenue? Is it in marketing or it is in sales? Or do you have some confluence of the three working together? And does anything but actually having an advantage in product really matter, like in the end? And so like that, Ooh. that is something yeah. is like, is all the shit we do just wrapping? Because by the way, I was debating recently with, um, with a GP at a, at a pretty big fund and we were talking about this and I was like, look, they're like, well, you know, we, you need these things on, on the front end. I was like, look, if I don't have anything to sell, it doesn't matter how good I am at selling it. Like who gives a fuck? Right. Like I could, you could say, here's some toilet paper. It's like, okay, I'm great at selling toilet paper, but like this, there's nothing special about this toilet paper, it's not softer, it's not cheaper, it's not better. It's just next to Charmin. I just put a new wrapper on it, which is a lot of CPG brands, by the way. So I'm curious because my take, my takeaway has become unless you feel confident that your product can do something unique or you have some understanding of how to use your product to help the customers in a unique way, you're never going to have a true advantage. So HubSpot has an advantage because they understand SMB and VSB and how to be a system of record for sales teams and sales motions. Like Notion understands what they're doing. Figma crushed Envision with a spe- like with a unfair advantage in product and in understanding the market that they were serving. And so I'm curious where your guys' take on this is and like how does that affect us as marketers thinking about how to actually go to market with a product? There's a short-term and a long-term version of this. The long-term version, I find myself really gravitating towards, does any advantage besides product matter? No. That's In the short term, though, and the, in fact, the only exception I can think of to that long-term vision is actually Shopify. Because I genuinely believe one of Shopify's unfair advantages is Toby and Harley. That there is a face, hmm. two faces, that represent two different types of their core constituents that are part and parcel, baked in, like tattooed on the brand. I don't know who runs WooCommerce. I don't know who runs Wix. I don't know who runs BigCommerce. Maybe Robin does. You're you're down in Austin. I think they're there. You might have an answer. But it's this idea of like, 
and especially if you look at like the early day stuff, like what they did with Tim Ferriss and uh, build a bigger business, build a better business, mm-hmm. giving away, you know, was it laptops, a few thousand dollars, mm-hmm. like that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like there was personality, there were faces attached to it from the beginning. And they have kept that in a way that it's because Shopify, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that they have a product mode. They do. There's a, 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 what's that? I don't think they do have a product mode, personally. And yet, bitching isn't switching. Phenomenal diatribe. Are you finished? Because I have I have some interjections, but that was... Your energy is exquisite today. I'm, I'm all pent up from last week yeah. and stood up. Yeah. I, I had so I'm much ready, to go I'm on. Ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> this is a 2X episode. Let's go. Um, so this, it's like I missed date night. Now I'm making up for it in one... <laughs> <laughs> and now we got a market not safe for kids. Damn it, Aaron. Unbelievable. Okay. So there is this really great book called The uh, Seven Powers by the guy named Hamilton Helmer. Uh, Chase, you know, it. I'm pretty sure you know it as well, Aaron. And the, the thesis behind this book is there's seven powers that businesses can accrue to achieve and sustain competitive advantage. And it was so beautiful because what you articulated was exactly it where... Um, so I'm just going to ro- run through the seven powers and then we'll apply them to Shopify. Um, so scale economies, network economies, counter positioning, switching costs, branding, cornered resource, and process power. And I think what you nailed on was so interesting because for me, what you just absolutely nailed was that Shopify right now, or at least at the beginning, had a cornered resource in Toby and Harley, where there were just such a unique talent that represented the market. Harley knew how to absolutely just talk with everybody. Toby understood the actual bells and whistles and the the bits behind it. And then I think from that, you started to build in branding. And then from that, you actually build in switching costs. Like, I don't want to switch away from Shopify if I've been on you for four or five years. Like, I'll just wait for you to fix this thing or there's a subscription app. And then the big one is network economies. As more and more people start to get on Shopify, that's where the money is. So more and more developers start to develop for Shopify. If more developers are developing for Shopify and I can add cooler apps to make my Shopify do the thing then I'm, more people are going to use Shopify and you have this really nice symbiotic network shop, where shop more, apps, ned, shop more nodes, exactly. boom, more, no, more yep. nodes on the network means yep. everybody has a better uh, value extraction from the network. So, um, And I think there's probably some aspect of scale economies in terms of the compute power. I don't think it's a huge, huge deal, but I'm sure there's, they're doing some really cool stuff technically. But for me, it's definitely network economies, switching costs, branding and a corner resource. And I think the branding, you know, is probably like the lowest there, but yeah. it's just a really nice to have. The branding, I think, is a function of the cornered resource. And then the but it probably also feeds into the network economy. Like you don't want to it's hard to get a bunch of people to sign up for something that sucks. Yeah, I mean the branding really just plays into essentially how the so think about it for us. You ask a customer, you get on a customer sales call and what do you, what's the first thing you ask? Or are you on Shopify? Right? Yeah. It's like one of the first yeah. questions you ask when you're you're talking to a sales prospect, or maybe you're doing a customer like success, I don't know, triage moment. You're like, okay, what like where's your website? And it always you're always hoping they say Shopify. When they say like WooCommerce or Magenta, you're like, dude, fuck you. Like, why? Yeah. <laughs> why? Yes. The whole thing is is like. Yes, they have sold to their customers, but they've also sold to us and made the entire process much more seamless and easy mm-hmm. for us. You know, and I, I think that's um, it's an incredible one that you say for branding power and also cornered resource because, like, cornered resource for me 
is such an important one for when you are essentially this bridge, right? It's their cornered resource for us, right? We like, we want people to be in the Shopify ecosystem. We want them to be here because like we know how to speak that language like very, very succinctly. When you start getting off into these edge cases, and I, I for, for me specifically on heat map, the amount of CMSs across the world is mind-boggling. Yeah. Like I had no yeah. idea how many CMSs there were across the world. So you get in these edge cases like this random thing that they only use in like northern Italy, a CMS. You're like, what? A trucking CMS in northern Italy? Like, why does yeah. this exist? Right? So when you get this walled garden that is Shopify, you're like, okay, this cornered resource, this brand, these these switching costs that affect me plus the plus the person that I'm providing service to. And I think that's what's super interesting for me about unfair advantages. Using Shopify as an example, but we could use we could use Salesforce as another example is the idea that all of our businesses are essentially built off of this one system, right? Like, yes, yeah. we, we could exist without them. There are other ones that would exist, but it essentially is the organism that feeds all of our organisms, right? That feed all the brands. But the brands could exist without us because there are other places they can go. There are, there's not a great counter, uh, a great, counter example of and i know by the way like what is the actual i'm curious on this one because we're talking about it so much do they own most of the like do they have all the best sites or are a lot of them custom or are they on i feel like there's another cms that everyone is on that no one talks about because like big commerce only has like forty thousand stores i think like i don't know how many stores woocommerce has i should know this actually it's a lot but they're smaller they're all exactly. smaller like big yeah. comp Big commerce and magenta, yeah. you can almost think of them as like wish.com, Salesforce Cloud, where mm-hmm. they're like bigger stores, but they're very developer heavy, almost like yeah. a headless setup, yada, yada, yada. Again, akin to Salesforce Cloud. Um, and WooCommerce actually does a lot of GMV, but it's just paper cuts, paper cuts. It's people yeah, it's that so spread out. Very yeah. well said. Yeah, it's just a big, big, okay. uh, like a uh, super bell curve distribution where like all the money is in that. Like it's, it's not that much in terms of, yeah, yeah, okay. okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. I guess what I'm saying, uh, saying across all of it is like the idea of an unfair advantage comes back to, for me, does your product set you up in a way that people feel like they, it's the, the Alex Ramosi, like, do they feel like they can't leave you? Is it a, like they would feel stupid? The IQ test, Raba. And so like Shopify yeah. is an IQ test. If you say you're not on Shopify, people are like, what the fuck? Right? Yeah. Similarly, like- a green bubble up, from you? Yeah, yeah. It's, green, it's, green, it's a green the green bubble. bubble. It's literally I'll the green bubble. I'll meet some wonderful humans. I'll, I'll meet some wonderful humans and they hit me with the green bubble. I'm like, no. You can't be no, friends. You have bodies in your basement, don't me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? Dude, the only, like, you, only green bubble- you make, dude. Like, why don't you have an iPhone? I mean, what the hell? The green, the green bubbles are literally just friends I've had for 30 years at this point. Like, they, I, <laughs> The bar is so high. Like, you, you gotta, you, you definitely have to have been around for a few, a couple decades at least for me to allow green bubble into my life. And similarly, like this goes for product as well. You have to do a lot to earn customers. I mean, like we're all building things that are relatively new and not like a hundred million dollar ARR big, right? And so there is a certain amount you have to go earn the business. You have to, it's, it's trust. Like Shopify is now just earned trust. And I think the unfair advantage of having a, a product that provides this kind of services, you build this amazing word of mouth coefficient. And for me, that's kind of almost the unfair advantage of an amazing product is the word of mouth that spreads across the entire industry as a whole, which then makes you just the predominant player. So 
anyway, that's, that's hey, my hey, hey, I want to hear from you because I know you got a bunch of things, but let me just throw some throw up thought throw up on you. And Chase, that's beautifully uh, articulated. And for me, word of mouth is a function of branding. Like that's that like if you have a strong branding, like word of mouth is going to be super high. Like you don't need to run campaigns because I'm going to tell you, Chase, I just sponsored a rat on mischief. You know, like what? That's not here nor there, people. Go check the Twitters. Rat chat. What I was going to say, <laughs> rat chat. Uh, what I was going to say is there's kind of a little bit of a paradox because kind of coming back to AO's talk about product, I think in a weird way the product in areas that your product is highly commoditized, that's when branding actually matters the most. Because that's how you you don't have product differentiation to say, this is why I'm different. That's why I think fashion is one of the hardest industries to market because not only do you have to say it's different, you can't like Apple can every year say, hey, look, we have more storage. We have more, you know, feature bumps, spec bumps kind of thing. Like, Fashion doesn't have that to lean on. And I think it's one. And not only that, they have to make you love something for 12 months, six months, and then be like, oh, that's whack. You need this shit now. Like, that is, that's like, there's some of the best, best marketers out there. Uh, but the last thing I'll say, and then I'll throw it over to you, AO, is I think the, the one thing that we should all be cognizant of is that we're all on different journeys or all at different spots in our journey in terms of our company. And mm-hmm. that what Apple's marketing is doing is not what your marketing should be doing. People already know who Apple is. They already they, yeah. there's already a foundation mentally for a lot of people where are like and, you know I'll just speak for my for my specifically like we don't have that foundation yet. That's something we need to strive for. So that marketing is going to be way different yeah. than if I'm an Hermes or a Gucci where I'm just going to put a a random mural on a New York wall and put Gucci on it and people are like oh that's cool even though it's to a collection blah blah blah. And so that's my only caveat or not caveat but caution is like definitely get inspiration for all these people that are doing incredible things, but also understand that you might be in different places and you're going to need different things depending on the place you're at in your business cycle. What I'm endlessly fascinated by is how you solidify and then take to market a competitive advantage. And by solidify, I mean, are competitive advantages discovered or are they created? Do you, and, and I, I, I think about one of the largest businesses that goes to bat for us over and over again, when another nine figure brand is on the line, mm-hmm. uh, this person will never actually say the product is differentiated. What they'll always say is, yeah, it does what I need it to do. I'm pretty sure other products, other SMS platforms do the same thing, or they get close enough that it wouldn't hurt. What makes the difference is the customer success manager and team that we work with. We have not had to hire anyone to run this arm. We're hiring for email. We're not hiring for SMS and they don't charge us for it. I trust them. That's the difference. And part of me really doesn't like it when this dude says that. Or I want them. I spend a lot of time trying to articulate and actually say, no, no, no. There's these five things that Recart does, that no other platform does. And I'm putting it into landing pages and I'm putting it into emails and I'm trying to come up with social content for it. And I'm like, these are the five features. No one else does this. And in his world, it, it doesn't exist. What exists is I get value from the humans that are invested in my business. And I'm scared in some ways to actually take that as the competitive advantage out to market because it seems like it's not that it should be product. 
So I'd love to, I am trying to create what I think our unfair advantage, or at least our differentiation is, but to where, where does it come from? Do people tell you, or do you get to shape it? Is it a mix of the two? That's where I'm at. I got, I got so much here. Do you want to fire anything off, Chase? Because I'm, I'm. No, no. I want to hear. I want to hear what you have to say. I, I'm. Uh, okay, I'm still. Is... I'm still chewing on this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, zing. Callback. Yeah. It's so incredible how you can articulate super sophisticated academic topics in like really meaningful, digestible ways. So everything you just said was counterpositioning. So here's the definition, like the academic counterpositioning definition. A newcomer adopts a new superior business model, which the incumbent does not mimic due to anticipated damage to their business model. This creates a protective moat around newcomer's business model. Who you know else is doing this? Senlane, Jimmy Kim. What Jimmy is doing, there is no way Clavia would ever adopt anything like that. Ever, 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 ever. This is a freaking public company, man. Um, And so what you guys are doing, the way you're thinking about how you handle your customers, how you're so integrated and invested in their success, Clavio can't do that. Like It's such a hard thing to do. And then for me, what you kind of just illuminated for me here is I think you have to have some semblance of competitive advantage innate. But I think as you, again, go on that business life cycle on that journey, these other ones became, become discovered and acquired. And so, for example, Ooh. with uh, like Shopify, right? Like they didn't have enough money to actually have scale economies. or there, there, there wasn't enough people on there to have network economies, but now they do. But they might have lost the counter positioning against the sales force or something because now they're the incumbent or what have you. You guys, for example, probably don't have really high switching costs yet. But for somebody that's used you for three or four years, those switching costs get higher and higher and higher because I'm more integrated. My SOPs are in there. So I think that it's almost like the nature nurture. Like at the end of the day, I think it's a bit of both. Yes, I see that. There is, at this point, there is still a competitive advantage to be had in. We are new enough that we can do things that would hurt the other people's business models to do. Literally, you're a thousand percent right. Of like, like I had a really honest conversation with our CEO the other day about uh, we're rolling out revenue-based pop-ups, meaning conversion rate, how much you make off of those, and the impact on same session revenue. Interesting. And you're taking just like a little baby rake or something. What? A little what? A little baby rake, like a little take from it. Well, I don't know what a baby rake is. Oh, like uh, you take sauce of that revenue process through the pop-up. No. We're just measuring it. No one else. It doesn't exist. Just Uno kind of does some stuff, I guess, with it. But nobody else will actually show you what is the same session revenue worth to you of somebody who sees a pop-up or doesn't see a pop-up. No pop-up provider. Hmm. Same thing with what is the seven-day revenue value of somebody who subscribes to email, someone who subscribes to email and SMS, someone who doesn't subscribe. Interesting. And the reason I say all that is just simply because one of the things my CEO says, he's like, now listen, here's the thing. We roll this out. There's going to be businesses where it turns out having a pop-up is not the right answer. Or really... The point. the point is the learning is not the performance. And the learning is what well, drive the performance. So like It's you- the point for us. Because as long as we can get you to put a pop-up on it, you get more subscribers. We get to send more messages. We make more money. Hey, hurrah. We all like... Uh, we, we get really happy. So there's I'm this trying. thing of like, we're that building a trying. thing that for some folks might actually reveal to them something that's counterproductive to our business. That's an exquisite example. But 
What I fucking still love about these people, these recart people, is they're like, but it's better for it's better for the end user. It would actually be helpful for them, for the vast majority of people to be able to understand this. Yeah, that's nice. And so let's let's give, do it. Could I give a hedge there though? Yeah. Cause I think you can have your cake and eat it too. And one, you haven't broken the theses yet. Um, I would consider this a cons- uh, cornered resource where this technology <sighs> is very unique and there's nobody else has it yet. That's the literal textbook definition of patented technology, a unique talent or a scarce natural resource that competitors cannot replicate or access. Not saying people can't replicate or access, but right now you do have this cornered resource because you can say, hey, uh, yeah. nobody else has this awesome thing. But what I would say is instead of rolling it out, I would add it as an add-on. Because if I'm right? actually testing... But because again, the, the, this is where you need to break out performance from experimentation. The whole point mm. of experimentation is what? Learning. Learn. By definition, it's not fucking performance. If it was performance, then it would be a performance campaign. The, mm-hmm. the whole point of experimentation isn't to make money, isn't to, it's to get learnings. But if I have this tool that can drive learnings where it's like, hey, on my homepage, I really shouldn't have a pop-up because the people that come through the homepage and see a pop-up spend less with me. But on this PDP page, when I do show people I have a pop-up, boom. And so now you're charging me for something that I can pay for, opt into. And you know maybe I don't want it now. But I went from a million dollars to $10 million and now I have a more sophisticated marketing setup. Hey, can I buy that revenue pop-up tracker thing? And the best part is if it doesn't cost you guys that much money to store the data, just turn it on for everybody. And then when you do want to buy it, or you can even do, you're, you're the master of the drip campaign. Be like, hey, do you want to see your stats and on, on how much revenue this pop-up drove? Or do you want to see the performance of your uh, pop-up on your homepage? Is it hurting you or helping you to have a pop-up on your homepage? Upgrade to, uh, you know, revenue tracker at Recart. Boom, boom, boom. And now you going back to that product expansion, you're creating more value for me. You're allowing me to opt in if I want it. And you're keeping your economics intact. So it's like a win, win, win. Yeah, because the cost is, it turns out it's actually really hard to measure this. Yeah, that's exactly. the cost. So that's the cost is, you, though, because that's tech is hard. Resource. Exactly. Yeah, that's a so it turns out, yeah. Here's where, man, this is the existential struggle I hit is like, I legit feel bad. I can't think of a good reason to be like, yeah, you have to pay extras for this. You don't actually get it. Because do you, just straight up ask them, do you want to know how much, how, do you want to know how pop-ups are affecting your revenue? If you say What, no, what would it be worth to you? That's it. Yeah. If yeah. you say no, I don't care. I just want to crush, baby. If you say, yeah, I want another little, you know, twinkle on my, uh, Bike, I want I want streamers on my bike. Give it to me, baby. How much is it? Okay, that works for me. And then if not, then don't. And so I would just make sure to frame it in through the lens of an experimentation tool, an add-on to optimize your site, not a performance tool. It's like, hey, have you ever wondered the impact of a pop-up on your site? Well, guess what? We have this new thing called Revenue Tracker from Recart that is integrated in all your... Re- you don't have to do any coding or anything like that. All you have to do is put your credit card in here to add it to your plan. If not, no worries. We save all your data all the time. And so whenever you are ready and you're, you know, the economics do make sense for you, give us your money now. Yeah, I feel like that's a very reasonable... Like When you give somebody something, there, there's definitely... In, the value is so easy to understand. Do you want to? Do you want to see the impact of pop-ups on your website's revenue? If and you, you also you value what you pay for. It's true in life. It's true in business. You, I oh, yeah. 
God, you're so on one today. We need to, we need to cancel on you more. <laughs> no, I had a buddy of mine that, um, that was his big breakthrough. He, he coached, he was a personal trainer for high net worth people and he would charge people to X what he normally charges them because he knew they would show up. It was like a retention mechanism, like almost like a weird Veblen good kind of thing. But, uh, anyways, well, I, I would challenge if it's not part of your core process, then like, if you come and you say, Hey, look, uh, go look at this data, whether you pay for it or not. For instance, people look at their, their, uh, They'll look at data dashboards that don't have any necessarily any impact today on their business just to read it. I think it's like it's all about what part of the process it's at. If it's like, hey, I got incremental money that I can go and and get back or make, yeah, hundred percent they're going to go for it. I guess my question for you, because you guys just were on a heater, I didn't want to talk, is with this cornered resource and this idea of competitive advantage. Because I think AO, what you guys are doing is um, is spectacular. I've become very obsessed with the idea of like compete where others can't. And let me explain this a little bit. So the idea is like you have this advantage. People can't do Mm -hmm. it. You charge for it because it's going to help you hedge what your downside risk is, which is people will do less sends because they will take people that are not making money out or not get as many people into their list, right? So you need to Mm -hmm. essentially hedge the bet with saying like, okay, maybe if we get 50% opt-in on this thing, it allows us to essentially net out this and like all the customers are happy at that point. And then hopefully we can essentially nurture these cohorts into getting a more higher take rate on this uh, on this feature bolt-on. But the idea I have is like a lot of companies who don't need to do something, but it's a nice add-on to their business, should be doing those things for free or much cheaper than the incumbent player because it's like, well, I don't need to make money off of this for me to have a healthy business, but I can go take all the rest of their customers because they want this thing, even if it's 80% as good for free or at a really, really um, great price. So like, let's talk about docs, right? Like Notion is what, $5 a month, Robert, right? It's $5 a month yeah, to have. It's have very a, entry it's, point. It's very entry point. There's Google Docs, which is free. You can start a Notion account for free, but it's like 1,200 blocks, right? So once I understand okay, this is Google Docs, right? I have a Google Doc I can do for free forever, do as many things as I need to do. Oh, I can go and get into Notion and start playing around and building something something meaningful. Then I got to pay five bucks. If I want to have other people, I got to pay an extra amount of money for them, extra, you know, all of the different things you can do. But because they're willing to compete with Google and make it free for this thing that is 1,000 times more powerful and impactful, they're able to pull in a lot of the Google Sheet market or the Google Doc market. And so what I'm saying is like, you have this advantage. It makes sense to do what Robin did. Have your cake and eat it too. I think a lot of companies need to start mm-hmm. thinking about, okay, in my product spectrum, where are the places that I can compete in a meaningful way that someone else can't because they have to make money off of this thing and I don't today, but I know how I'm going to make money across it over the long term and be able to bring, nurture more people into my funnel that are really high intent. Mm-hmm. So. That's my kind of take on it. it's a little bit of a counter or, or a little bit on a different angle than you guys, but everything you said was spot on. And I, I really love being able to actually give a, a product example. I can give one when we launched to market in August with really, really low pricing. And we very quickly understood that like we have a different way of, of uh, measuring, measuring value. And so like a hot jar or mm-hmm. clarity or whoever else the heat map players are in the world. Uh, they measure on sessions, but they randomize all the sessions. So say you buy for 40 bucks, you buy 10,000 sessions, but you have 100,000 sessions. They're essentially randomly choosing those sessions. 
Mm. But they're not actually, they're charging actually a higher per session rate than we were. And you would have 100,000 sessions, but we have to measure revenue because we're tracking every single purchase that you have. So you can see where the purchases are coming from. So you can understand that customer journey. So we said yeah. very quickly, we're like, well, fuck, man, we can't randomize sessions. We have to start tracking on revenue, right? And it was, okay, we are not going to be able to compete with them where they can compete. But we measured out that like the, the numbers kind of, the math maths where it's like, okay, the revenue and the sessions kind of make sense here. Let's do these tranches. People were actually more excited about this pricing model than the sessions pricing model because they felt like it leaned into the value that was being created for them, right? But we competed. Yes. Everyone else couldn't compete because of our product advantage, right? No one else tracks revenue. And so it's this really interesting where we're doing something that no one else is doing, which is tracking revenue out of the box. You can do this on Content Square, but it costs you 50 Gs a month. Like No one's doing that. Yeah, Athletic Greens is doing that. Like no one else is, is, is having that conversation. They want the out of the box thing that works. They also are not, they also have to, they also randomize sessions. They're able to do all these things. So we can do everything that a, a regular heat map does. They have a few bolt on things they've been, cause they've been around for years, but people have really leaned into this. I have never had one piece of pushback on the pricing ever. And we said like, well, we track based on revenue cause we're revenue based heat map. And these are the things you see. Got it. Let's do it. Right. Never. And so it's yeah. like compete where you have a unique advantage because your product does something different and make sure that people know that they're getting more value than they could ever imagine. And like you'll get this incredible um, tailwind from that specifically that I don't think we talk about enough. It's like, okay, we all just kind of – Well, and what you just did, I got in that the justification yeah. mm-hmm. for a different pricing model. Yeah. There, it was a very – it was a clear through line. Do more better words. And you just nailed it. This is how they do it. And so this is the result that you get because of the data they're intaking. And that's how they price themselves based on what they're measuring. Yeah. This is what we're measuring. It takes the additional lifts of X, Y, and Z. I don't know how that stuff works. But so because if you want to measure revenue, you want to measure revenue, right? And it was like, yeah. Well, then that's, you can go pay to measure sessions or you can pay to measure revenue. You can pay for the sessions or you can pay based on revenue. Yeah. Which one's more valuable to you? I could see it. It was like, yeah. And by the way, you still, that's good. By the way, we still measure your sessions. You still get all your session data. So like, that's a free part of this entire process. Oh, that's just like the come in at the end of like, oh, and by the way, you also still get all this. It's like, oh, shut it down. Yeah. 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 You get the screen recordings, but there's actually good. Like it, it makes, when we finally figured out the positioning, it was like, we had one of those (laughs) aha moments. It looks like our Starlink is breaking up to Bulgaria. Uh, yeah. Currently. Yeah. Um, uh, so yes, completely agree. <laughs> completely agree. <laughs> let's jump to uh, now. I think Rava, you 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 are going to bring in some. Uh, let's let, let's end with the topical. Oh, we're, we're choppy just, talk. I wasn't going to go full. I wasn't going to go full pod without internet issues. We know this. That's good. Well, yeah. at least you traded it for a more aesthetically pleasing backdrop. So oh, how are we bookend in this thing? How are we land in this plane? Yeah, we're landing this plane with Shopify. You didn't want to do McCormick? Let's talk, that, about yeah, much, let's talk about too much. Too much cognitive stuff. Yeah. Oh, I say yeah. Let, let's hang on to that. Let's. I, I don't want to stress our. I don't want to stress. I think this is like we're hitting that good stride. Yeah, why don't we do a full churn episode? Actually, that would be super uh, interesting. If we could, oh, it could be, be the, the PC next. sponsored episode. That's what we yeah, should do. It could be the podcast episode. We should call the episode churn and pricing. 
<laughs> a little throwback. A little throwback. That's amazing. Yeah. This, um, this is content and brainstorming all at once, folks. Like it just happens live. I want a t-shirt with make more better words. Yeah. Like, it's so that's good. our that's our merch. That that's the, that's in the that's in the G V merch store. We don't have a YouTube, yes, but we got merch. Episode name. Episode yeah, name. Uh, okay. Lane in the plane coming back to reality here. So Shopify had their fourth quarter results come out um, and they crushed it. So fourth quarter <sighs> revenue. Revenue is up 24% to $2.1 billy compared to the prior year. Full revenue, full year revenue was up 26%, which is strong. And then the GMV, which is gross merchandise volume, basically revenue for uh, merchants increased by 23% to 75.1 billion in the fourth quarter of 2023. These are phenomenal numbers. Um, The free cash flow margin was 13% for the full year, which is strong with the 21% margin in the fourth quarter. Harley, let me get the PJ, bro. Subscription solutions revenue increased by 31%. That's slowly becoming... A recharge like Zamboni. Yeah. They're just sweeping up recharge customers as they fall off, kind of that. And um, that's, I mean, that's not nothing. With It has MRR of 149 million as of December 31. Really? Like, that's, that's, that's not nothing, cool. dog. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's not nothing. That's a company by itself. That's not DMV. That's what they charged and made off it. It says subscription solutions. The subscription solutions revenue increased by 31% to $525 million. Compared to the prior year. So I'm pretty sure it's the subscriptions they process. Yeah. I'll triple check this, but yeah. And then the gross payments volume where the monthly is made uh, grew to 45.1 billion. So representing 60% of the GMV process in the fourth quarter. So they process more than half of all the payments that um, happened on their site. That is wild. That is Um, wild. Yeah, it's a monster. And then let's see where the stock is at. So we are recording this on valentine's day happy valentine's day by the way you guys um, you guys. Oh, yeah she came back uh the stock's around uh 81 bucks 80 dollars and 67 cents and mm-hmm. is up 9.26 percent year to date and up 51 percent um in the past year so this is this is not horrible what are you guys' thoughts i've been really really impressed with just all the stuff they ship and the way I thought it was one of the hardest things to do to balance the idea of building on your marketplace, but also not Sherlocking people and not putting a chilling effect of like, hey, I don't want to build on the Shopify app store because Shopify is just going to build an app. I think they balance it perfectly. I think they're building the things that are really interesting. They're making a little bit of a play into B2B with, uh, well, they're actually charging people more money on the B2B in terms of the app store. But I've just been really smitten with them. I think they're just, I don't know. I could be a little bit biased and blinded because like Harley's like, I have a super bromance for Harley, but I don't know. Where do you land AO and then Chase? Give me your thoughts. They don't break out same store GMV versus new store GMV, do they? I believe, fill some time for me and let me check on that for you. But I believe- I think there's a few different sites that try to figure out and calculate it by total number of stores, which obviously when you're looking at quantity, absolute volume, that doesn't represent where the money's getting made and generated. And if you have like monster stores, like I I think it was last year when they brought on like the biggest D2C store in Canada- where it's like that's yeah. gonna move an average like fairly quickly if they especially if they count all the revenue that year that wasn't 
yeah. um, Shopify revenue, if that makes sense. So that's a good Because now the market ate up the new pro- the pricing model for Plus. Yeah. Ate up it, in it, a good it, way or bad way? In a good way. The yeah, market, so. re- yeah, the market responded to, oh, you're going to make us even more money? Awesome. Yeah. And it wasn't that much of a backlash among their customers. So that, that was definitely handled. But what I come back to is that the whole idea of any plan for growth that isn't anchored in net new customers, that is a plan that is seeding ground. And I, I bet dollars to donuts in this case, <laughs> it is not that e-commerce itself is expanding. <laughs> it is not that these same stores are expanding on Shopify. It's that they're bringing in net new large businesses. Yeah, for sure, dude. That's yeah. where the lift is coming from. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, It's a big picture of exactly why I wanted to push back on what we had looked at earlier of like, you know, oh, dead set yourself on making your customers worth more to you, expansion revenue. That's, I don't, I don't believe that's what Shopify did. Or what Shopify does, but they're going digital whale hunting now, right? Like they're they're yeah. whale hunting. It's it's more about expanding the top. It's not about the bottom. They did the bottom during uh, during COVID and, and Zerp season. That's not what's happening right now. Like if you, I bet you, if you look the sub hundred k stores, like that that growth is not happening as much anymore. It's like a fl- like a, essentially like a flat a flat maybe a little bit up trajectory. It is the top because they didn't have the top line brands before. Like that is what Harley and everyone is going after today is like, what are the top 10% of stores that will have 50% of the GMV that we're doing, right? Like that is what they're after. Those middle tier, I always call middle class and low class, maybe that's wrong, uh, stores within within the Shopify cast system, if you will, like they're the ones that market for Shopify. Those are the word of mouth customers that they're really excited about because they're the ones who are active in communities. They're the ones that are active on socials. You know, Canada Goose, is not active on socials, but they're doing fucking numbers, right? And so yes. you want, that's who they're going after. So it, it, like they went with the bottoms up strategy, right? We're going to build this bottoms up. We're going to build this amazing community. We're going to build this product that can support Canada Goose so that when we go after them, they look at it like, well, we're stupid not to do this. This will make our job exponentially easier because it's been so hard with all the other things that we're doing. So yeah, I completely agree. That's a really fascinating point too, because um, there's that saying, you don't get fired for buying IBM. And so Shopify is kind of crossing that chasm into IBM where big CMOs, big chief revenue officers can suggest Shopify and they won't get laughed out of the room. It's kind of similar to what happened to WordPress. Like if you go to some like B2B SaaS company, you're like, hey, I'm going to build your site on WordPress, which again, I'm old, but I think it's objectively a better CMS than Webflow. Uh, This is more Aaron's space than mine. So I'll let him tell me if I'm right or wrong. But now Shopify has the credibility and candidly, the product to support these. Because when you get to that size of store, guess what a really big part of your revenue is? Retail. And so their Shopify POS is actually getting in a really good place now where it's actually like usable. There was a year or two that it it was mids to not really usable. Now it's getting into a really awesome place. And now, not only are you selling simplification, but you're selling unification of your data. All of your sales data now lives in one. So if I bought from Viore from the domain, if I bought from Viore in New York, if I bought from Viore on D2C, they have one customer profile without doing any stitching. So I don't know. I think that's, that's, that's pretty fascinating in terms of what they've been able to do. And I think it's, yeah, it's, it's just a really, really interesting company. I have one other thing I want to ask you guys about. So I just recently bought... Um, have you ever seen those Create Gummies, the creatine gummies from Dan, yeah. Dan McCormick? Yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, exactly. 
he, they were terrible. They're actually really good now. So I was out in LA for a stealth little project and uh, Caleb had some. The blue raspberry ones are phenomenal. They used to like be melty. I had to put them in the fridge. They were a miss. They're sensational. Wow. Went to go buy them when I got home and he had this buy with Prime button on a Shopify store. And then I saw it and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go to Amazon because the buy with Prime is really cool, but it's only for certain SKUs, but it shows you the delivery date on the Shopify store, which was really cool. But then as one does, I went to Amazon and I went to Amazon and I ordered them. And not only did I get more and were cheaper, but I got them faster. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on this where, uh, and maybe Dan gets better economics with Amazon so he can have these priced at a different uh, spot or whatever, because it's essentially wholesale where he's shipping a ton, or I'm, I'm guessing he's doing FBA where he's shipping a ton to Amazon, blah, blah, blah. But what do you guys think of that? Because I, I don't know how I would feel about that. But at the same time, I probably want to move product out of Amazon faster, but then I lose a lot of that customer data. So I don't know. What Do you guys have any thoughts in offering Buy With Prime? Like, would you offer Buy With Prime to avoid this or not offer it to avoid this situation that just happened? Or is that actually like, it's not a feature, it's a bug? I'm on the not a feature, it's a bug side. That's, uh, I think the, to not get someone to buy my product and my brand because they're already on my site. And so they're going to go look for my brand on Amazon is not a loss. Well, that's the other thing too, where it does put some attribution quagmires in place as well, right? Perhaps, but what I'm not... You said, said, yeah, it's a feature, not a bug. Okay, so your feature. Yeah, if that that bounce is not really a bounce. And it's only a bounce if you're right. The economics of Amazon are fundamentally a lot worse. The money was less, but I don't know if the margin was less. So that's where... Because you're also like the likelihood of you being a repeat purchase through Amazon for any product is so astronomically higher than doing it on a standalone D2C website. Now, that is an interesting angle I did not think of. You're right. I'd much more subscribe on Amazon than a Shopify app. And the danger in the situation you just described was a bounce to go do a branded search, right? Yeah, but I didn't even charge him money. I clicked on the, uh, or it wasn't brand, or I didn't charge him on the Amazon ad. Like I, uh, no, but that's what I mean. You were like, oh, I can get this on Amazon too. Then I'm going to get this on Amazon. Yes. Yeah. yeah. From that person, that brand. Yeah. And this, yeah. Correct. So that's, yes. Yeah, yeah. yes. What do you mean by branded? That's what I mean by branded yeah. search. Not yeah. that you paid for it, but search, no, but yeah. Yeah. then yeah. not a loss. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised to find out if they make more money off of you over time. The fact that you did that than than otherwise. It's going to be so much easier for you to reorder. It's it's what it's what's Aaron saying. It's like the the friction, like the uh, the friction versus the um, versus the inertia. Like Amazon just drives way more inertia in the process because of how simple it is and how much trust you have in the process. You're like, oh, I'll fucking buy it. Like I know if I don't like it, I can return it or I can do something with it. Versus when you go to a DDC store, you're like. Dude, I don't know, man. What's their return policy going to be? Are they going to have a restocking yes. fee? Like, what is? Yes. Like, by the way, they. I mean, there's a certain amount of friction they put into that so that you can't send it back, right? Like, I, I get it. I know the game, but Amazon, when they sign up, they are signing up to play on Amazon rules. When we're on their site, we're playing by their rules, and I like the idea that I know Amazon's rules so that I can play in that sphere. And I think I'm getting the best deal. Obviously, Amazon has their economics and, and everything so in place. So you guys are both feature. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a choice, man. You have to understand because you're taking a hit. But like, even if you listen to operators, like they'll talk about Amazon and all of them are on Amazon and all of them love it. 
right? Like not a single person talks about it. (laughs) Then he goes into stadium echo mode. This fucking guy. Bro, Bulgaria. I told you, I'm I'm not (laughs) in the first I'm not in the first I'm not in the first world. I'm not in the first world. Bro, Bulgaria. Yeah. Um, no, those are really fair pushbacks. I, I, I think I would land with the economics, but the only thing is, and I don't really think he's, not that he doesn't care about his brand, but it's not like a Hermes or something like that. Because when you control your distribution, you control your brand. Yeah. But um, you guys make some really compelling points. I think I'm being a little bit of a Luddite here and trying to hold on, clutching my pearls. Um, the subscription point was really, um, drop really interesting. That's a, it's... That's yeah. an absolute uh, 100% there. Uh, just to clarify for people that are listening, when we said subscription solutions, that is not like their subscription app. Obviously, that is Shopify payment or Shopify Plus, yeah. Shopify basic plans, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, but okay. yeah, those numbers were correct. Increased 29%, 486 million um, compared to the prior year. So that's yeah. that's super strong. I'm holding. Yeah. Oh, same, same. Yeah. I got a little bump. I'm Hard riding the wave too on... Abercrombie and Fitch is, is printing me a little bit of a little bit of cheddar of late. Yeah, but overall, I think it's interesting. They the Flexport stuff is quasi interesting. They put in I think four hundred so far, three hundred. They put in forty last year and two sixty this year. So that's uh, quite a chunk of change into the Flexport. That poor struggling company. What wasn't that? Wasn't that the headline? <laughs> so so tough for them. It's the the Woody Harrelson gif where he's like uh, wiping his tears with do- like hundred dollar bills. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's super good. Found, founders had a really bad outcome out of that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, let's wrap it up. What are you guys excited about this year? Any uh-huh. any carve outs? Any takes? Any any things that you want to let the people know at home with? What am I excited about? I'm excited to have I'll a better time next time. If you guys, you guys are going to see, I'm going to have like a, 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 a mid journey background just, back here printed. I, I just, what am I excited about? Non-correspond war correspondent internet. Yeah, dude, it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> we're we're, cha- we're getting, we're getting fiber. We're getting fiber pumped into the house just for you. Uh, I, I've been hard on you this episode. I'm sorry. I no, it's good, dude. I love it. I love it. It just someone. came with so much heat. Yeah. And you, you, yeah, dude, you know, someone, you're, someone needs to oh, look, dude, I asked for that. Bad internet, bad bad background. Like you know, you're just you're, you're kind of asking uphill me. from the gate. Yeah, absolutely, dude. I, I start I started below I started below sea level on this on this episode. What am I excited about this year? I'm excited to see brands think about other things than just ads. It feels like they're starting to think about other channels. Like I'm having a lot of obviously I'm mm. a little biased because of website conversations that I have, but it seems like. Everyone has understood essentially what the the uh, the local maxima of, of ads is specifically, and like what they can do. And they're essentially like not. You, I've not seen a, a, as much proliferation of information around. Um, oh, you need to do these things with your ads. I start seeing people talk about what can I do with my website, what can I do with my SMS flow, what can I do with email. Understanding that this is where they're going to be able to unlock more value with their customers. So I'm, I'm very excited to just mm-hmm. see that brands are starting to. Um, open their eyes to the fact that, you know, they're running multiple channels and multiple things need to be working for them to actually have an, a meaningful outcomes for the year. So excited about that. Yeah. That's what I've been thinking about a lot. What about you, AO? I'm excited that the brands that have survived businesses across the board, consumer or B2B that have got through the last 12 to 24 months, the, the learnings and the, the, Folks, the humans 
that got through that are coming out the other side. One of the most equipped generation of entrepreneurs and owners, operators that, that I think we've experienced in quite some time. Like, that's really exciting to me. The kind of businesses and the people running those businesses and fueling those businesses, you hit some level of easy mode and good night. This crew is going to rip. I'm really excited about, about that, seeing some, some a little more easy mode. Uh, and then the other thing is, I'm really optimistic that uh, there is going to be a, a downtrend finally in the influencer pay-for-play space. I'm, I'm optimistic that we're going to see a little more uh, honesty and people calling out BS on that this was like a paid migration kind of situation, um, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then uh, last thing is, I'm also really excited about just more IRL mm-hmm. this year. I had such a great trip to Austin in January. Didn't get to see Raw. That was a heartbreaker. But it was just a small group, a number of like five people at coffee, three here. And I got back to Portland um, and I hooked up with three absolute ringers who I just had never actually gotten together with before. And I'm like, let's do it. Let's like do some stuff yeah. here locally. Let's make a community. Um, so I'm excited about that. Man, yeah, completely. Answer. I should have went first. Plus, plus, plus one are... on, on IRL, man. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Um, I think I'm I'm pretty excited for similar things. I think the uh, economy is actually going to do really well. I think people that, unfortunately, if you are well capitalized right now, can probably buy a lot of things on discount and build out, like, again, that kind of, there's two mm-hmm. ways to make money, bundling or unbundling. So I think people, I think there might be a lot of M&A going on that is, you know, not going to be great for the people that get bought, but it's better than zero and going to zero. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for that. I'm really interested to see the next, and again, super Homer bias pick because that's what I work or that's what a lot of what we do. But I'm really interested to see as technology ramps and being able to build not like the OG, like personalized shopping kind of stuff, but being able to build a plethora of kind of pathways to conversion based on different things, different touch points, et cetera, but being able to do it at scale, being able to experiment at scale, and then being able to optimize the offer. So I think offer testing and offer experimentation is actually going to be one of the bigger things. And I think that the website is soon going to get abstracted away. So what's his name? Uh, Bart over at Dad Gang just posted his July or February traffic, or maybe it was January traffic, 98% mobile. We just got our traffic because I it was off of the back of that post. Um, our traffic for all of our clients in January was 94.1% mobile, 3.2% um, tablet. There was literally less than 3%. There was more tablet than desktop um, users. To be fair, we're super indexed on paid ads. Yeah. Like people don't use us yet for yeah. SMS and retention, but like... Yeah. That no. is something really interesting to see. So I think there, yeah. I'm excited to see what, like, if it is Fermat or what that new paradigm of commerce is going to be, because we've never had, we've had the idea to do this, but we've never had the tech. And then once we did have the tech, we didn't have the economics to democratize the tech. 
And yeah. now I think we're in that third phase where, you know, you can pay somebody a couple grand a month or whatever and be able to spin up a hundred landing page experiences, custom PDPs, custom card experience, um, et cetera, and be able to test on X, Y, and Z. So I think that's what I'm really excited about is to see if, if, that, if this thesis is correct, hopefully it is. Um, but B, I think there's going to be a heavy vector of experimentation because it's just hard right now and nobody knows. Like, have you guys ever called an ad? I, I've been doing this forever and I've not once called the winner. Not ever. And so I think that having that scientific method is going to be really good impact um, on the community. And it's just a better headspace to live in than saying you're right or wrong when you really yeah. were just lucky. Two things. Uh, a desktop, 17% on our side with 7% mobile, rest traffic. Uh, rest, uh, excuse Seven percent tablet, the rest mobile. Um, so about seventy-five percent. Ninety-three percent. No, no, nine. No, seventy-five percent mobile, seventeen percent desktop, seven percent, seven and a half percent. Yeah, that's your site tablet. traffic proper, though, right? Yeah, that's that's all site. That's not just from ever. That's from every single source that the traffic is coming from. Oh, that heat map oh, is monitoring. Heat map that heat map sitting over. Okay, yeah, yeah, that would make sense because paid is paid is super heavily indexed mobile. Is kind of yeah, the point. yeah. Exactly. But even now, exactly. so integrating all the site traffic that you sit across, you're talking about three out of four are uh, mobile hits. Yeah, everyone. We optimize really our our heat map is a mo- is a mobile first view. People get really thrown off by that, and we're like, well, mm-hmm. mobile traffic is That's fucking mobile. Why would we not? Super interesting, right? So uh, that first, say, first thing. So not if they know what they're doing, they shouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, yeah. We could, we're in the same boat. We're within the same boat because we all of our format experiences are mobile optimized and then people want to use them on desktop. But the problem we have and we're fixing it with some kind of design stuff to for the deliverables to send over to people. But people will click on uh, or most people do work on their desktop. And yeah. so they'll click on the like format experience and it turns into this kind of desktop that it's a little bit subpar yeah. compared, especially to the mobile experience. Um, so it's kind of funny because it's a, a two-sided sword. Most in that people, sense, but, I mean, not getting too into um, okay, the Let's wrap it up. Oh, I was just going to say most people design on their on their uh, on a desktop experience too. So it's all people need to think about how their customers are doing. Too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's wrap it. Let's wrap. It, take it, take it's us home. Take us home from Bulgaria. Yeah. Let's go. Um, one last little uh, kind of thing to tie that in neat bow, but it is funny because a lot of people, it feels almost like when I was doing web dev, people would ask me to design for Internet Explorer. And I'm just like, no. Like, there, so there's a certain aspect too where designing for the 95% is way better than designing for 100% at the expense of the 95%, or designing for the 5% at the expense of the 95%. You guys get what I'm saying. Uh, a couple carve outs. I got some uh, TV shows. So if you guys are into the sp- spy thriller kind of style category, uh, Amazon Prime had a really good one called Deep State. Fantastic. And then something else called Condor. Um, so two TV shows. Yeah. And then I got another little pick. There's something called Perplexity AI. Have you guys used this yet? Yes. Oh, I knew you would have. Fuck it. I can never beat Aaron. I can never beat <sighs> Anyways, it's like a chat GPT, but more situated for um, research and writing. It does really good jobs on uh, profiles of people, things of that nature. So go check it out. Perplexity AI. It's replaced chat GPT in a lot of my uh, research. So for example, like the podcast and things of that nature. Go check it out. Equation of Excellence. Do you Great footnotes too. Plugs. Great footnotes. Everything. Yeah. Great. Uh, Perplexity AI, go check it out. Condor and Deep State if you want to do some binge watching. Ayo, what you got for me? 
For picks? Any carve-outs or any words of wisdom or anything? Ask yourself this question. What would I do if I wasn't afraid? Uh, he has a oh, dude, dude. I, se- I sent the post to Raba after you wrote it, dude. They did. That's my mantra for this year. Fucking That's a. where I'm living. Trying to do it. Fucking I. I love it. Papa C, what you got for me, big dog? Go listen to if you're if you're into what we're doing and you want to think about tech. At least you paused on like an incredible screen share. Like, ah, dang it. It just broke. So uh, as long as if you like what we're doing here, uh, a great podcast is there's two great podcasts. There's ACQ two. And then there's, I know, I know you guys aren't hearing me right now. Uh, this is hilarious. Um, uh, no, we actually are it's your job to edit at some point. That's what I love about this. Uh, I don't know how you figure it out. Uh, I'll send it to the guy and I'll tell him like just just delete my track, okay? Throw him the a podcast fence. will be no, you're going to delete us talking over your track. I'm sure no, you're no, saying no, all no, kinds no. of wonderful things. Yeah, uh, ACQ two, uh, which is the second the second feed from Acquired, and then us unsolicited yeah. feedback from Reforge. They have incredible guests and they talk about all things oh. tech product. Incredible. Um, I listen to those two things religiously. Besides, you know, founders and all the other all the other things. Um, so ACQ two I've added, and then unsolicited feedback is a weekly. If you like Lenny's podcast, unsolicited feedback is mm. actually gets even deeper into the weeds because it's less interview and more debate style. Um, so those two things, yeah, those two things are um, those two things are, are great. And I just watched Euphoria for the first time, which was uh, true. Tell me, brought, brought me back to the old days. So it was a very emotional watch and it's it's a re- it's a really great show and if anyone has kids or has anyone that they know going through something at a young age it's a good one to recognize like you know young people are humans too so uh they're going yeah. through some shit you need to be nice to them so that's a good watch if usher can't bring you back to your childhood at least <laughs> euphoria did it for you <laughs> dude usher did it brought me back to freshman year of high school i'm not talking about that i'm more saying like I've seen him live before, and it was better the other time. It was, be- it, it was better at Staples. I have. Wow. This gentleman. This fucking is my favorite love language. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's been giving to you. It's been amazing. Yeah. Uh, go subscribe. We're going to get a YouTube channel up soon. I promise. Uh, I think we got a newsy somewhere. We'll throw it in the show notes. Um, go get the best SMS out on the planet over at, what is it, recart.com? That's it. And beautiful. Oh, we have a Webby coming too, right? If you're in the in this vicinity, there's a Webby coming. Uh, oh, one more thing, baby. So, whoops. Uh, beautiful webinars. Uh, AO is also on on the Twitter. It's just at Aaron Orndorff, right? That's me. That's it. Go follow him. Wonderful, wonderful feed. Really great stuff. Um, and then we got Papa C. Chase Mosheny. Running yeah. the fucking ship over at heatmap.com. You guys also have a fantastic newsletter with a fantastic uh, name. What is it called? Conver- con- the conversion party. Boom. Who doesn't yeah. want to be at a party that converts? Zing. Yeah. <laughs> all right, folks, that's all we got for you today. Thanks again so much for tuning in. Chase, Ayo, you guys are just beautiful people. Can't wait to yeah. see you. We'll talk soon, everybody. We'll Take the first class back from Bulgaria. See you guys. Bye.